All right, friends, you ready for this? I am so excited about this introduction. I'm excited about this podcast. I mean, goodness gracious, I've got Jackie Hill Perry on the podcast talking about her new book, Holier Than Thou. We spent a lot of time talking about God in this podcast. Uh, we also do talk about sexuality. We talk about, uh, she shares a lot of details about just her personal life too. We got into some, um, yeah, just a kind of a, a cool free-flowing conversation with the one and only Jackie Hill Perry. So that's awesome enough. I'm also excited because I get to announce for the first time publicly that we are having the first, the first of hopefully many Theology in the Raw conferences here in Boise next year, 2022. I don't have a registration page up yet. It's going to be up very soon. We're still solidifying some of the guests, but please save the date. Theology in the Raw conference, March 31st, April 1st, and April 2nd. That's a Thursday night, Friday all day, Saturday morning. Uh, you can come in Thursday, leave Saturday afternoon. You only have to stay two nights. Um, it's going to be, I'm, I'm, I, I'm so excited. I can't tell you. I want this to be like no other Christian conference. We're going to talk about race. We're going to have a three-hour conversation with different voices on race, on CRT, on multi-ethnicity and the gospel. We're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about gender. We're going to hear testimonies. We're going to um, talk about creation care and the gospel. We're going to hear different perspectives on hell. We're going to hear about a Christian approach to politics, um, a Christian view on progressivism that we are all wrestling with, and on and on it goes. We've got a lineup of some killer voices. Um, some of the ones that are confirmed are, um, should I even reveal? You know what? Yeah, some of the ones that are confirmed. Um, confirmed. Uh, Derwin Gray is confirmed. That dude, I'll tell you something else. So that guy, I just, yeah, so excited that Derwin's going to be out here. Uh, John Tyson, Sandy, Dr. Sandy Richter, um, uh, Thabiti Anubwile is going to be here. And there are a few other names you will definitely recognize that are in the process of making that final decision. And I really, really hope that they are able to make it to the conference. Um, we're going to have, it's just going to be an amazing time. It's going to be amazing. Lots of time for Q and a, you're going to, you, if you come to the conference, there's every speaker, you're going to get a chance to ask them questions. What, what conference does that happen at? Like you ever been to a conference and somebody gives a, you know, a, a nice, powerful talk, but you're like, yeah, but what about this? Or what about that? But I don't know if you represented that view correctly. Like you have a chance to respond to, the speakers. We're going to have lots of discussions, lots of dialogue. We're going to mix it up. It's going to be amazing. So save the date, March 31st through April 2nd. If you cannot make it out to, oh, it's in Boise, Idaho. Okay. My hometown. You got to come to Boise. Boise is an awesome city. If you haven't been here yet, um, everybody that visits loves it. Um, stay an extra few days, go on a hike. It's an awesome place. If you still can't make it, there will be a live stream option. So no matter what, unless you're having a baby or going to be at a wedding or I don't know. Um, if you can't make it so sad, actually, if you can't make it, you can still sign up for the live stream option. And we're going to try to make it to where, um, you will still have access to those recordings after. So March 31st through April 2nd, the Theology and Rock Conference here in Boise. If you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology and the Raw. You know, all the details, they are all in the show notes. Let's get to know the one and only the Jackie Hill Perry. Welcome back to Theology in the Raw, Jackie. Um, holier than thou. Uh, what what led you to want to write a book on holiness when this topic, I mean, I, I wouldn't say this is the most attractive topic or something that is just, you know, books that are just flying off the shelf <laughs> talking about <laughs> holiness. And I don't know, maybe that's one of your motivations. But yeah, what, 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 yeah. when did you get the idea for writing this book? And uh, yeah, I would love to hear kind of an elevator pitch of what it's all about. Yeah, I don't even know where the original, original idea came from. Um, but I, I think if anyone has followed me for a considerable amount of time, 
I think you'll see a, a great emphasis on the person of God in my ministry. Mm-hmm. That that that's what intrigues me. It kind of is just always undergirding everything I I say. And so when it came to holiness, that's kind of like a really big deal as it relates to the nature of God, you yeah. know. And so I started to I started to wonder like, man, I'm curious about this subject. And so my curiosity was like, let's write a book about it. So a book is a really great excuse to spend two years studying it, you know. And I and I and I also feel like a lot of the books I had read uh, prior to um, yeah, a lot of the books I had I, I read about the topic, it felt like they only focused on the moral purity of God and how that related to our lack of holiness. And so these books just they made me super introspective but also super discouraged. Mm. And I was just like, I feel like there's more to holiness than just wrath and judgment. Yeah. And so really the whole point of my book is to say, man, if God is morally pure and if God is transcendent, and if his holiness really is an expression of his, his, his beauty, then that is an incentive for our faith. Mm. It's to say that all that God has revealed himself to be really is our greatest reason for why we should trust him. And yeah. I think that's a completely different angle hmm. than saying God is holy, stop sinning, so you won't go to hell. So when I heard you run the book, I mean, I don't know if I heard from you or just, no, I think you told me when you were- well, We talked about it. Last summer, and that wasn't public yet, I don't think. So yeah, I guess I knew uh-huh. about it before it started to hit. But my immediate thought was like, there's been some pretty good books that I've read on holiness. Um a lot of them were written, you know, more than sixty years ago. But man, they're and, and I'm a, I, I love theology, so like I I, lo- I like these books. But man, they're they're not written very like beautifully in the sense of like I don't no. think this this author is very creative. So I was like, man, that this this might be the first book on this topic by somebody who has you know a, a good level of creativity and imagination and just just flair in, in, in your writing style. Uh, I, I think <laughs> Tozer, I think knowledge of the holy is, 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 is special. I think that's one of the few that I've read yeah. that not only engages me theologically, but also like yeah. my affections. He was, he, he was a good writer, wasn't he? He I mean, was. It, I, it was beautiful. It yeah. was beautiful writing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know too many Christians that that book hasn't had a massive. I mean, that was probably the first, second, maybe, maybe the first Christian book I read. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, it's I, yeah, it, it just blew my mind. You know, yeah. Wait, is, that, is that the book where you said the 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 most important thing? What's that yeah. phrase? What's the line? The the the, the, the uh, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. That's like in his introduction. And he so he just starts off the gate like, Damn. oh man. Now I'm like thinking about what I think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it just it's just a and so that book really inspired me um in my and how I approached holier than thou. It really made me say, okay, how do I not only teach and explain the scriptures as it reveals God, but how do I also engage mm-hmm. the imagination and the affection of readers as I do so? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, A.W. Tozer is totally a, a big inspiration for the way I wrote this book. How's your book different than his? Like, it, it, yeah, I'm curious. Um, I'm more poetic in my approach, you know, mm-hmm. much way more metaphors. Uh, it's longer. I think Tozer's book, it doesn't, it, it's kind of, it's a quick read. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I dig deeper into passages okay. uh, and walk. So even I have a chapter about uh, called uh, Unholy Gods uh, and basically saying, trying to explain how our idols are unholy because they lack the transcendent and uh, moral value that God himself has. And I walk through Exodus 19 for an entire chapter. And so I don't think mm-hmm. Tozer's book has those types of things where it feels like you're kind of walking through a sermon. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if he dealt with this. It's been so long since I read it. But I mean, like you said, you have the moral character of God. Then you have the just the transcendent set-apartness, the, the creature-creator distinction. We often, I feel right. like we often view that very abstractly or through a individual lens, but what about mm-hmm. 
holiness as like the Leviticus holiness, like we're, we're to be a set apart people from mm. the word, almost like cultural holiness, if you will. Is mm-hmm. that, is that an accurate, I'm just thinking out loud here. Is, is that, are those categories? I think that, of, I think that's one way to apply it because we can apply God's eternality to ourselves, you know, right, <laughs> like right. his, his utter, uh, <laughs> Uh, independence from creation and creatures in terms of his existence. But I think we can apply like, man, like God is different and he's unique and he's set apart from the world. So in the same way, I need to be set apart from the world. I'm still dependent. I'm still creaturely, but I'm unique and I exist in a different way uh, than those who haven't been made new creatures. Hmm. So. Hmm. I think that's one way to try to apply uh, yeah. God's holiness to our own, you know, yeah. way of life. Do what, what? What? What were some things that you like know now or believe now that you didn't back then? Maybe, maybe it wasn't like a change of view, but just something like, "Wow, this studying this topic for two years, like my life is mm-hmm. not going to be the same after this because of these certain truths or anything." Or, or maybe you did change. I'm curious if you did have a change of a view or perspective while writing the book. Yeah, I, I I think uh, I think what I believe is just it's it's become more concrete. Okay. For one, but I I think I even like the best example I can give is my prayer life is different. Hmm. Like my honesty with God is different. My consistency with prayer is different, and it's because I I'm much more I'm much less guarded with God, and I think I've gotten that just from. It's hard to like really study and see how faithful God is and how consistent he is. And even how in John 8, Jesus says, hey, can any of you convict me of sin? If not, why don't you believe me? Man, that's a profound statement. If a human being was to say that, they would be a narcissist. <laughs> to, to, to say there, there is nothing in me that you can accuse me of being wrong or unrighteous, or unethical. And it's like, man, if that is the God that I serve, why can't I just tell him the truth? (laughs) Say, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. But it's also, man, if this is the God I serve, in his sovereignty, you're being really wise. You're being morally pure. You're being good. Mm -hmm. And so it just, I think it frees you to just have a relationship and a friendship with God Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that's just different. Mm. Hmm. That's good. So you, you mentioned Exodus 19. That's a good one. I'm, do you have a chapter on Isaiah 6? I mean, is that, I know that's always the oh, yeah, go-to, that's the introduction. but it's like, it's I, such I think a, that's the first chapter. Okay. Yeah. And you you kind of have to, Yeah. it's like a thing. Like you have the angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, and it's, 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 uh, it's interesting because it's like, man, if I think in our modern culture and our modern society, if anyone was to sing about the nature of God, the first thing they would say most likely is love, love, love. Mm-hmm. And so it's significant that the only time that the holy, uh, that a attribute of God is sung uh, to, you know, what do they call it? Uh, sung three times is in Revelation and in Isaiah. And it's all about the holiness of God. Mm. And that says something that this is the attribute that seems to anchor all others, because mm. if he wasn't holy, would he be love? No. His holiness is what makes him so not self-centered and not self-protective and not arrogant and not egotistical and not uh, unrighteous in his justice. It's, it's, it's his holiness that all the other attributes shine forth, I believe. So more, so yeah, I've heard people say God is love and that's the, and, and it, it's been a while since I really thought about kind of attributes of God and how they relate. Yeah. It sounds terrible. Like, isn't that something I should think about every day? But, um, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Hopefully, you know what I mean. but yeah, you know, people often say, well, God is, God is all these things, but the central piece is God is love. Like that, that is the anchor you're saying. You want to flip that around a little bit and say, even that needs to be anchored in something more foundational, namely God's holiness. Yeah. Because he is love. John, first John says he, God is love. Right. But uh, my, my argument again is, would he be love if he was not holy? If you remove if you remove that that aspect of his being, and I don't want to I don't want to argue attributes as if they're like you know he's holy here he's love here he he just is yeah. who he is yeah yeah but yeah. I think for the sake of understanding you know how they how they work together it's like man if you if you remove that moral 
righteousness from God, love yeah. is impossible at that point. Yeah. 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 I think, I wonder if it is a little bit of a modern way of thinking where we want to compartmentalize or put like what's most important or whatever, like mm-hmm. he is who he is. But I like you know, your language of the holiness kind of anchoring and making mm-hmm. sense of these other, these other attributes need holiness for these attributes to make sense. I wonder if you could say it about mm-hmm. all of them, but I, I've often thought about, yeah. I've often taken Genesis one and two, and I know you go back to Genesis one and two a lot too. As, you know, Genesis one and two kind of like the, the, the transcendence of God. Hmm. He's holy other. Genesis mm-hmm. two is, I, I, I can, I can understand why some liberal scholars say these are written by two different people because their, their mm. portrait of God. is. Why so, do they say that? Well, I mean, several reasons. One, you have Genesis 1 uses Elohim exclusively. Genesis 2, 2, 4 to the rest of the chapter uses Yahweh, Elohim, Yahweh, Elohim exclusively. Um, But I think it's primarily the portrait of God is Genesis 2. He's so near, so intimate, so involved in his creation. Genesis 1, he's so holy other. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's the God we serve. He's both, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I I think even just... Go ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. You go ahead. You go ahead. I'm, yeah. Now I was going to say just the first verse in the beginning, God created. Whoa. <laughs> now we have a lot of questions. Where did he come from? How did he create? Did he borrow? Did he ask for advice? Where'd the power come from? Where'd this, this insight, you know, it's just like, this was just all within himself. And so he really is extremely unique, but then you, he creates and he communicates and he talks and he uh, abides with and he loves, but he also has a standard mm-hmm. and a law that he imposes with consequences. And so it's just all of this transcendence and moral righteousness or moral purity working mm-hmm. together in a really interesting way. Why do you, th- why do you think this might be a softball, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you're going to say. I, I, why do you think there is such, obviously, in a, a cultural aversion, a disdain for the idea hmm. that somebody else has authority over you, over your identity, over your behavior, over your life, that they have the right to tell you what to do, what not to do. Some of those some of that, some of those rules, rules and regulations mm-hmm. might make sense to you. Some might not. Mm-hmm. And that authority doesn't have, he doesn't have to explain why. He doesn't have to. Yeah. He can if he wants to. And he often does, but he doesn't have to. Yeah. Like just, just the last 30 seconds of what I, like that, that would just be like, people would be freaking out. But I, but I see that aversion trickling down into the church. Mm-hmm. Right? Do you? I mean, is that and, and lesser so? But I don't know. Like I, that. I think that's the appeal of false teaching. Is that most false teaching at some point allows us a sort of freedom from certain moral regulations? You know, in Jude, you have people saying, "No, the grace of God allows us to be sensual." <laughs> that's the that was the temptation of that false teaching. I have two thoughts. I think one is deception and deceit as observed in Genesis three, the day you disobey God, you will actually be like him. You will have rights and the freedom to do whatever it is that you want to do. Or so you think, or so you think. Um, but I, I think there's also, I think suffering is a reality and how it shapes us. Meaning I think we've had people in the positions of authority, whether it's our parents, our bosses, our mm-hmm. presidents, are whatever, who have abused us and taken advantage of us. You know, we have uh, relationships with people that we're supposed to trust that show themselves to be untrustworthy or unfaithful. And I really do think that that makes us super guarded from the idea of anyone having any control over us. And and one of my suspicions, which is what I address in the book, is that I think that sometimes we project the po- the potential for abuse or unfaithfulness and flat out just unrighteousness onto God. And so it means like, it means I'm the only person that can trust me with me. I, mm-hmm. I can't trust you with me because I, I don't know what you'll do, which is why we need to re <laughs> reorient our thinking and reestablish what it means for God to be holy. Um, because if there is the possibility that he can do you wrong, then that means he's not really God. 
I mean, I, 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 that's so helpful. I, I can resonate with that psychologically. Like, that does make sense that if you have suffered, as so many have, traumatic abuse from an authority, maybe it's not mm-hmm. even tra- trauma, but it's you've, you've maybe been through spiritual abuse. And I've been listening to that podcast on, on Mars Hill Church. You, you've been listening to. Man, yeah. it's fantastic. It's sad, but it's fantastic. It, 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 yeah, it, yeah, it, it's it's enlightening and it's needed. I would say it's needed because yeah, listening That's to it, word. I'm like agonizing. I'm like angry. I'm looking at my own heart. Like how, mm-hmm. how am I? Like what am maybe I'm abusing authority? You know, like yeah, and just that that, that the responsibility that comes with any kind of you know platform or, or position of power. You know that that's it's all it's just it's yeah it's not an easy listen but I can imagine I, I know people who were spirit you know went through Mars Hill and and the stories yeah. they tell man um, but physical abuse a father figure a, a church figure a trusted person um, yeah that I can I can see I can absolutely see mm-hmm. where people would he- hear about the authority of God God the Father even right and yeah. Like, be just like that and not really even extremes just there we are always there are always minor offenses against us even mm-hmm. you know like someone ignores you when you're speaking doesn't answer your phone call like just there's even the small things i think wear on our humanity hmm. where it's like man like people don't love me the way i believe i should be loved mm-hmm. which, which is true mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody mm-hmm. loves us the way that we should be loved mm-hmm except God. Mm-hmm. But he, but we live in a space and in a world where we, we're not exposed, I think, to that love in the way that we will be in heaven. And uh, it's frustrating. So, How, How's the book been received so far? It's not out yet, so I don't know. Oh, it comes out in three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I don't know. <laughs> well, but, I mean, and it's hard to judge from your editors and things because they, they, they have a little bias in them. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I love that you are the one writing this book. Not, I'm not going to mention, but, but but like like more more of a, for lack of better terms, kind of an old school theologian who's yeah. I don't know. He's probably going to repeat what's already been written. Like I I and and I think people will listen to you that might not grab a book on holiness written by. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the first name that came to mind is something like Carl <laughs> Carl Truman. I just his book sitting right here. I'm like I, I don't even yeah. know like. But like somebody that's like, yeah, a good scholar, you know, a good, good, mm-hmm. a good voice. But like, uh, the people that are going to read a book on holiness by Carl Truman again, I don't mean this at all in a negative way, are going to be people who follow Carl Truman, Carl Truman, and yeah. actually want to know about holiness. But I imagine your book's going to reach a much broader audience, um, perhaps, which is which is exciting to me um, because. The book is is inspired by many, a lot of dead people, you mm. know, <laughs> like you got Tozer, you have Sproul, uh, Stephen Charnock, mm. uh, Arthur Pink, like Moses, <laughs> like <laughs> the, the, the book is inspired by ancient sources for the most part, or, or just old thought and thinkers, C.S. Mm. Lewis even, um, mm. And so it's cool to be able to kind of uh, modernize their perspectives and uh, deliver it in such a way that I think is is still winsome and compelling, but it's an old truth that I'm just delivering in a new way. You read all those old school, the Charnock. I never read him, but man, that that's dense, oh yeah. Charnock. I I probably cited him not the most, but almost the most huh. because his what what is it called? I have to look at it. Uh, yeah, the existence and attributes of God. It was written in like the 1800s, but yeah. it's his his perspectives on the justice of God and the holiness of God and the goodness of God. He has he has whole volumes on each attribute, hmm. and I don't know if it's because they didn't have cell phones or what, but I feel like. The thoughtfulness and huh. insight that he brings to the discussions about the person of God are special. Huh. Would you rate him like one of the, the top best books on holiness that you read during the last couple of years? It's not even on holiness. It's about, but or, as far as the person of God, absolutely. Really? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Like it's it's a it's a yeah. I just think it sh- everybody should have it in their library. Hmm. You know, A.W. Pink. That dude's crazy, man. I mean, he's <laughs> he's interesting. I read his. Um, he, oh, what's the? Uh, was it on holiness? I don't think it was on. Oh, the sovereignty of God. Is that is that? Yeah, like I, that. I can't say I spend a, a ton of time with his 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 stuff. That dude's like a but. ten point Calvinist. <laughs> oh, I didn't know there were extra numbers. That's terrifying, actually. Oh, yeah. no, he, <laughs> to know I, what a, what a, additional issues we might have. I heard that he had. Uh, my listeners fact check me on this, Google it or whatever. But I, somebody told me, re- like a year ago, that he had some kind of almost like a mental breakdown because his his view on God was so like, or he had such a such a real specific and narrow doctrine on mm. every little point, and he just couldn't find anybody else who would agree on him on everything and. And didn't find in a sense it was almost like I don't know if he's a hermit or whatever about the end and, and just mm-hmm. didn't didn't end well because he just was so hardcore about every little kind of doctrinal point. Which I reading reading this book early on in my life, I was like, Yeah, <laughs> I mean it was pretty hardcore, but that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, which speaks to, you know, how God has revealed himself. So he is to a certain degree knowable. Mm-hmm. But there are things that are unknowable. Mm-hmm. And so I think um trying to be so theologically rigid at mm. times can um, keep us from just the beauty of mystery. Yeah. Like there's, there's some mystery that we should be okay with. Right. 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 He is transcendent after all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, he I, exists in three persons. Like I that, that stuff I'm, is weird. I'm constantly like trying to connect cultural progress or, or movements with how we analyze or think about God and theology and everything. And I wonder if, our information age where everything mm-hmm. is a Google away, where we have access to any instant knowledge fact or whatever. I wonder if that creates a bit of a reluctance to even say what you said that, Hey, there's things about God mm-hmm. that unknowable. Can't, can't Google it. It's out there. Yeah. And we gotta, and we gotta be okay with that. Like that, that's disturbing. I, I, in my own heart, I'm like, wait, I want to know a fact. And how, where's my phone? Like, I need to know it now. Like there's just that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that, that need mm-hmm. to have information at your fingertips, but with God, it's just not, it doesn't work that way. His, his wisdom is unsearchable. Mm. It's unsearchable. And that's a good thing. Cause it would actually scare me if me as a finite human being could fully understand and explain God, that would mean I, I, I can, I can get a hold of him. Yeah. I don't want a God that I could fully get a hold of. He's not big enough if that's the case. <laughs> so I'm going to just take, uh, he's given me his word. He's given me a lot to work with, a whole lot. But there's a lot of stuff. He's he's worshipped by angels that look like humans and animals at the same time. That's weird. He exists, and three, yet they are one God expressing themselves in three distinct persons mm-hmm. that doesn't... I, you can use all these metaphors of ice and water. Those don't make... Yeah. that. that you get what I'm saying? So it's, yeah. it's like at the end of the day, there are parts of God that it's just, it will take an eternity for us to figure out. And yeah. I think that that's a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's Job, right? Did you spend some time in Job in your book? Uh, with the suffering portion. Yeah. Okay. Cause I mean, anytime you start to address that God is always good, mm-hmm. you have to answer the question of then why is there so much bad? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, 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 I sat there for a second. Not too long. Just, just the last few chapters where it's like Job spends the whole book, right, demanding. I mean, he kind of put up, been put up to it with his friends, but I mean, demanding an answer. Like, I'm not, why is all this? That's, that's still a question of suffering, but God's response is crazy. Who are oh. you? Where were you when I laid the foundation? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, and it's, I mean, it's so, like, again, counterintuitive, countercultural, really. Like, I'm God, you're not. I don't have to explain. I can't, you couldn't. I almost quoted Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. You can't handle the truth, right? <laughs> like you, <laughs> you, you, you couldn't handle if I, if I actually gave you the answer you're begging me for. You, you would you would not be able wow. to understand that. Um, That's true. Yeah, it's it's totally his. Uh, there's another theologian that I think uh, is that the Barth guy who spent a lot of time yeah. on God being knowable and unknowable and all this thing. And it's just like, yeah, there is. God is, he has the right and the freedom to reveal himself 
however and whenever he chooses. Mm-hmm. You know, one day, hey, yeah, I'm going to be a, a in a pillar of cloud. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. oh, it's nighttime, pillar of fire. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Moses, you want to see me? No, you're not going to see me. You're going to see my back. Go and get in that rock, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, and then I'm going to incarnate and, and become a man. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot there. Well, I hope people uh, pick up the book and engage it holier than thou. Um, yeah, can't wait for my copy in the mail. Whenever it gets here, it's, haven't seen it's it yet. It's a coming. <laughs> it's a coming. Let's shift gears a little bit. I, here's a question yeah. I've been wanting to ask you. Gonna get a little personal here. Um, you you have a lot of fans, people that really love your stuff, and you know you're active on social media. There's probably a lot of people that would give anything to spend, um, you know, time with you to hang out with you. Um, how do you, how do you, cause I know you're more of an introvert like I am. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that? Just that, even that knowledge you post something on Instagram and I don't, I don't, tens mm-hmm. of thousands of people are like, this is awesome, you know, and like commenting mm-hmm. and like, does that stress you out? Are you used to it? Is it, how do you, how do you handle, how do you manage that? I think all of that. <laughs> One, I'm, I'm used to it a little bit because uh, I became a Christian at 19. I put out my first poem uh, at 20 and the poem went mini viral. Hmm. And so it was kind of like since the beginning of my Christian walk, I've had uh, different measures of platform. And I'm, I'm grateful that mm-hmm. God kind of extended it slowly. And and so it just wasn't like, I, I think now cats, you know, TikTok, they just blow up immediately. And I just don't know how my heart would have been able to ha- handle that. Um, so there's, there's a level of I'm used to it. And then there's a pressure, uh, this fear, because I know myself. It's like, yeah, I do have good things to say. And I am grateful um, that it inspires people and edifies you. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, I can't live up to whatever weight you might mm-hmm. be putting on me, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, I'm encouraged. It's like, yeah. man, like I'm a, I'm only 32, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> the Lord is using me yeah. for however long he wants to use me in this way. That's a privilege. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't despise it. Do you have to, just shut down like phone computer whatever like at night or weekends whatever or uh yeah yeah i definitely i uh, don't have notifications on my phone that would be insane my my uh twitter instagram and tiktok apps are not on my front page of my phone and so i have to like go through a lot of work to access them which really it really does retrain your brain to not click on it as soon as you open up your phone and then i've just um I'm I'm seeing how how important it is to withdraw, uh, and I say that because it, there's this passage I don't I don't know where it is. This is in one of the Gospels where it says uh, with Jesus as the report of him grew, he would he would withdraw to desolate places and pray, mm-hmm. and that's like wow. That's how Jesus handled fame, if you will, mm-hmm. popularity is that. He did not continue to put himself out there, but he would actually go to quiet places to be with God. And so I think that's one thing that I've been trying to put into practice is how do I practice? Like, I'm not going to go to a desert. I got kids. But (laughs) how how can I withdraw to get with the Father so that when I do enter back into the world, Mm -hmm. um, I'm much more useful because it's not about me at that point. It's about the Lord. Do you you have a good, like, embodied community, like a a local group of people that, you know, they, where you recharge and stuff. I found it. I wish I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish I did. Um, no, I, I, I do have people because I've moved a lot, but I do have people that I can talk to and that I do talk to that are wiser and older than me, but they live in different cities. The hard part with where we are now is that when we move to Atlanta, um, you know, we just had to try to get acclimated into this new church and we were so busy that it was just hard to build that community but it was also weird because it's hard to fight past preconceived notions about who you are you know um and then the pandemic happened (laughs) and the church was gone it's it's just like it's it's something that i i want and that i pray for 
um, yeah. that it's, it's just hard to get. It's got to be hard too, given who you more. are. Like, Oh like, yeah. Can you, can you go to a place where people don't know who you are and they just, you're just Jackie, you're not Jackie Hill Perry. You're just Jackie. In, Christ, in, in secular spaces. Yes. Yeah. Christian spaces. There is always the possibility yeah. uh, of, of that. But one thing I learned from my pastor in Chicago that I really leaned into, he was like, it's your job to humanize yourself. You cannot depend on other people uh, to not treat you according to what they've seen. And so the tendency or the temptation is to isolate and say, oh, everybody just sees me through this lens. And it's like, yeah, so be hospitable. Invite them over your house so they mm-hmm. see you in real life, so they can be up close. And it's when it's do, it's doing the work of pushing close to people and, and trying to create a sense of intimacy that tears those kinds of walls down. Now, as an introvert, that's, that's, that's terrifying. But as a Christian, I know that that's the necessary thing I need to do because it's not healthy for anybody to right. be alone, especially right. <laughs> people with a platform. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Was that Char- Charlie? You said your pastor in Chicago? No, uh, yeah. my pastor, Brian Dye. Oh. I went to a church called uh, Legacy in Chicago. It was okay. a house church. So community was very easy there. Oh, house church. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, maybe Max. 18 of us and then uh it was a community of house churches and once a month we would come together and it would be maybe about 250 people but in general it was just such a close-knit situation it was it was beautiful is that your your preferred ecclesiology uh it's a weird way of putting it obviously we're both geeky theologians but (laughs) um or is it just I what say, you did at I the think time? it's pros and cons. Yeah, I think it's pros and cons. I think I, I, I think it, it, it can be very uncomfortable. Uh, but the reason it was uncomfortable is the reason I liked it is because you cannot hide. Mm-hmm. You cannot hide in a living room with fifteen people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they, they, they know you and they see when you walk in the living room. Mm-hmm. And you're down. They see it. And I remember I would come to church and I would, you know, have a mood or something be going on. And they would see it and say, Jackie, what's going on? You want to talk about it? Mm-hmm. You know, larger churches, you can sit in the back and leave and nobody knows that you're depressed. And so, yeah. but they also typically have more order. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's more of a structure yeah. environment. And so it's pros and cons to both. Are you at a, are you at a bigger church now? I am. I'm at uh, Cornerstone in uh, Atlanta with uh, led by John Jono. So it's not bigger to people in like Texas, but it's big to me because it's like 300, 400 people every Sunday. And it's like, this is a mega church. Oh, yeah, that seems pretty small to me. Wow. Yeah, that's big to me. That's too many people. That's a lot of people to try to get to know. (laughs) That's such an introvert thing to say. (laughs) It is. It's overwhelming. It's just like, oh my gosh, it's like all of you here. (laughs) <laughs> I, I find yeah i've had a hard time we, we've done big churches medium churches small churches we're, we're at a decent sized church well yeah a couple thousand so a lot bigger than yours but mm-hmm. I, I found you know bigger churches they have to have like small groups and that's how you get involved and stuff i just i know i'm not supposed to say this but i i just never really i don't know resonated with small groups not not small groups of people but small yeah. groups like as a church kind of thing i just have i don't know in my own experience just never yeah. i feel like i was always kind of pouring out more and wasn't mm. i don't know i haven't experienced them enough um here and it at a, and i'm sure it's different at different churches i think also the life stage i'm in yeah. is so unique where it's like bro like i i, I have three little kids and some of these small groups are just kind of with just a bunch of single women, you know, who have the freedom to just kind of come and go. And it's just like, I'm, even when I come, I'm super distracted because I have to wrangle my children and it's not a mixed gender (laughs) one. So it's like, I don't have, so it's just like, it makes it, it makes it so much harder to actually engage uh, when the environment itself isn't acclimated to the life stage that, you're in currently at the moment so and i'm not complaining i'm just saying it's just it's yeah. not as clean cut well, well that's where <laughs> that's where people would say well man those you shouldn't be on your own with your kids like people should jump in and and help out but that that can't come from you like that needs to be somebody else yeah. being aware of like hey girl <laughs> i met 
the other Sunday, you find <laughs> holding my baby. Yeah, it just, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's uh, tough. That's tough. Um, seminary. You still in seminary? Yeah. How's that going? I am. I took a I took a break for the summer. Okay. Um, yeah. It is. It is. Uh, how do you? It's good. I just really enjoy learning. <laughs> I I really enjoy it. It's what I don't like, however, <laughs> is exams and 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 papers and stuff. I don't. I wish I could just learn without having to like test it. <laughs> <laughs> But in general, like I've, I've, I've pretty much decided I want to, I want to go as far as PhD if the Lord allows really? it. Yeah, just because it, what it does for my heart, and it's clarified some of my ideas. It's yeah. made me more precise in my thinking and even communication of stuff. Um, it's broadened my horizons to even the particulars of certain arguments and stuff like that. And I yeah. just, I just enjoy it. And so it's, it's difficult, but. You're at, is it RTS? Yeah, Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta. Oh, in a, oh, oh, so it's you actually, you know, it's not online. Like you go to class. Yeah. If it was online, I wouldn't do it because I would be distracted by like emails and life and text messages. Like being local, yeah. it, it, it's just, a, it's kind of like keeps me accountable to have to go to yeah. a classroom and sit. And it's just better. You get to like learn from your classmates, you know. I guess another personal question, is it hard being Jackie Hill Perry with other people who everybody knows who you are? Like, is it, do you feel like you're treated differently or do you not pay attention? No. And I'm in a, uh, most of my classes are all white men. (laughs) So (laughs) their wives are the, the ones that are probably, that would be more awkward. They, they don't even, they just say hi to me and they kind of keep moving. They don't really talk to me like that. Wait, so are your, is your fan base largely female? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, analytically on Instagram, it's eighty five percent female. Really? Yeah. I wonder what my. I'm never because I don't know how to do. I hardly even know what <laughs> analytics means. Like, I, I, I'd be curious. <laughs> I'd be really curious about both the theological background, the yeah, the sex of my back, the age, ethnicity. I'd be really curious. Is that you can find that out, or is that just that's just mm-hmm. social like your social media I- followers? Yeah, ask one of your kids. Though it's like in the settings, <laughs> <laughs> and you can you can. It's called insights, yeah. and you can see uh, the age group, the the highest, uh, like uh, the the regions, the most popular regions that follow you, countries, huh. uh, the time of day your people are are most likely to interact with your content. It's actually really helpful. Wait, is this just is just Instagram? This is just Instagram. Okay, so I can't speak for you know, podcast or Twitter or so, Facebook. But. So I could tell you right now that my Instagram fan base is going to be very similar to yours. Cause every now and then <laughs> I'll look at my followers. And I'm like, how did I get 2000 followers? Then I'll go over to Jackie Hills. And sure enough, you mentioned my name. <laughs> so <laughs> I, th- I think at least 90% of my Instagram followers have come from you. So <laughs> I promote Preston Sprinkle so much. It's it, you would think you were paying me. I'm not even playing. <laughs> Whenever my publisher says, hey, we saw a spike in sales, I'm like, yeah, Jackie probably mentioned the book or something. That's funny. I am, I am team Preston. I did an interview with a, a a station in London, and they asked me about, you know, the transgender question. Oh. And I pulled I pulled up Sam Alberry's book uh-huh. and your book. I said, these are people who have done the work. Jackie has not done the work. Follow them. Go on their Amazon. <laughs> buy their books. Give them money so they can make their advance back. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw so, you were over in London. Was that you? Just did you just get back? Yeah, I got back uh, Sunday night. So, is it open or what was it like being in the UK? It's 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 open, as in like you don't have to wear a mask. Okay. But like uh, uh, people who are out of the international arrivals are supposed to quarantine for ten, 10 days upon arrival. I did not do that. I was there oh, yeah. for four days. Even if you've been vaccinated? Yeah, because they don't, I guess, accept, like, U.S. vaccines, even though Pfizer and Moderna isn't, like... Really? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. So I wouldn't... Don't do what I did, because you might get fined. I just was kind of like, Lord, you know I, I got to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was all right. They didn't find me. <laughs> but. I've spent... Because we've traveled... I've traveled quite a bit. 
this last year compared to most people, I think. And even as a family, we've traveled a few times. I have spent so much money on COVID tests. It's it's unreal. I don't even want to add it up because it's like we we were in um I was on sabbatical and part of my sabbatical is in Alaska. So we're mm-hmm. walking through the airport. They will not let you out at the time. This is last year. They were like, All right, you need a COVID test. Here's the testing center. Two hundred and fifty dollars a pop. I got four kids. Mm-hmm. I dropped fifteen hundred dollars on COVID tests. Mm-hmm. And and then come to find out later, it was like, or you can quarantine. I'm like, man, I don't want to quarantine for 14 days. But once we got to our place, literally, they were like, no, it's, they just say that at the airport probably to get people to pay for COVID tests, but no one's like checking. Yeah. I was a good citizen. I've, I'm, I, I've been very COVID conscious yeah. doing everything I'm supposed to do. But man, it's been expensive being a good citizen. <laughs> That's an investment. Yeah, I usually just go to uh, Walgreens or CVS because their tests are free, but they're not. They're not usually like, you know, you can't get like a rapid test. You have to wait like 24 hours for a, a result. But Well, see, that makes me – so how come they they set up shop in the airport so you have no choice? I didn't need – like mm-hmm. I got my – my results came like four days later. It wasn't like they gave me my results then. Oh. No, that's – see, sorry. that's crim- – that's – that makes me mad. I'm going to email somebody out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm thinking you're getting it within an hour. That's why you're paying such a high price. We, we were in – um. Uh, Kenya and Tan- Tanzania um, uh, last month, and going from the Kenya border to crossing over to Tan- Tanzania, you had mm-hmm. to have a COVID test to get to you know for the border. When we got mm-hmm. there, I showed them the, the the form. You know, hey, I paid my I think it was like eighty bucks. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, but you need to do another one here. I'm like, what do you? I, I got it right. I'm like, well, we can't get through until you do another one here. It was uh, twenty five bucks. I'm like, oh, twenty five. Gosh. So, but they got the results back in like six minutes. Oh yeah, it was so quick. I'm like, wait a minute, you're telling me that the the you guys in Tanzania are way more like apparently in America it takes me like three days to yeah. get it back, and it takes yeah. two hundred fifty dollars to get a test in the airport. I'm like, well, you guys got like something going on here. But anyway, I'm sorry. You got to <laughs> you got to you you need a savings account just for COVID tests. <laughs> <laughs> call your uh your account and see if it's a write off. Oh my god. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Anyway, um uh are you thinking about are you allowed to say publicly if you're thinking about another book yet? Cuz you spaced out your first sure. two pretty pretty broadly. Yeah, not even on purpose. Um cuz the I had the Bible the Jude Bible study in between both. Oh, right. And a baby. And so that's part of it. Yeah, I, I have an idea for a book in my mind. Um, and I'll just say the idea because it might not come to fruition for a couple of years. I really want to do a book about faith. Hmm. Like it's just it's a, just a it's just another concept that I think is really important to the Christian that I don't know if we fully understand or grapple with. There's so many questions around it. Like faith is the substance of things. Hope for the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? Hmm. Yeah, really? What does that mean? <laughs> like, yeah, like, 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 let's explore that. God says, uh, "Those, if what is it? Uh, you cannot please God if you don't have faith." Ah, that's heavy. So that means I need to know when I actually am functioning in faith and when it's just unbelief or deception or delusion or whatever. And so, yeah, I just really want to. Ex- Explore that, especially in a culture of deconstructing our faith. What are what are healthy ways or bad ways to do that? What does it mean to do that? What is doubt? What is doubt's place in the Christian's life? Hmm. I just have a lot of questions. The the doubt one is tricky because I'm very I resonate with people that are honest, right, with their questions. That even right. the doubt or whatever. You read the Psalms, it's like there's doubt everywhere. Lamentations is a book of Book on doubt, but then you have James getting on us for doubting, you know, or wavering, right. or double-minded, like that. What do you have? You That's thought true. through that tension? Like I, yeah. Where is it okay to doubt? What does that even mean? Um, yeah, because I, I wonder. I've always wondered, really, if there is a distinction between doubt and unbelief, where um, Abraham or what? Who was it? Was it Abraham? When they, they came to him and said, hey, next year this time you're going to have a son. Yeah. And he asked the question, how, is, how will this be? But he wasn't reprimanded for his question, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I wonder, is that, is, that just a, is that a healthy doubt to say, 
I just don't know how this will happen. Can you explain more? Versus Sarah, who they they yeah. they come and do the same thing, and she's like, <laughs> "Yeah, right." And she's you know like it's like it's two different experiences of the, but these are really extreme measures that they're being called to trust in. And so why wouldn't they have questions? Yeah. We're old. My yeah. ovaries are gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, they're not yeah. gone, but they're they're, they're prunish at that point. I love what so, they. I, mean, I love what they tell her too. Like, well, you. Why did you laugh? Like, I didn't laugh. Oh, but you did laugh. Like, <laughs> but you did. The text literally says, "But you did." Yeah, I heard you laugh. Don't, <laughs> like, don't you lie to me now. Don't you? you definitely did. <laughs> like, we we could judge you for that, but but we're being merciful because we we need Isaac to come up in here. Yeah. And, or so, I don't know. Yeah, that's, but that's I think a, I think it would be life giving for Christians to identify the the place that doubt could or should have in our journey with God yeah. so that we don't, you know, become overly anxious or even depressed at our experiences of being human. And I think for, it's hard for me because I like genuine belief can't be forced. So like if, right. my, if my kids come to me and say, Hey, I don't, I don't, I'm not kind of, I'm kind of doubting Christianity. I can't say, well, stop it. Don't, you know, or, or if they're right. like, Hey, I got questions. Like, how do we know the Bible's true? I'm, I'm not sure. Or, it doesn't feel like this passage is like legit. Like the, uh, one of my yeah. daughters came to me the other day. I asked about the conquest. She's like, I, I don't really killing soldiers. I get, but women and children and mm. babies. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I don't, that doesn't sit right with me. Like, do I say, you know, stop it and just believe yeah. it. Like, well, that's not, even if she <laughs> obeyed me in that moment, that's not genuine belief. So I'm like, no, that's yeah, true. that's a great question. Go ahead and doubt <laughs> yeah. whether you think, but it's maybe that's not the kind of doubt that, that the Bible's talking about in James. Is it James one? Yeah. Double-minded man is unstable in his way, yeah. all his ways. Yeah. yeah. And even praying, you know, praying with faith. What does that mean? I think I know what it means because I've done it. Yeah. But there are also times where I am still very reluctant that my prayer will be answered, but I'm doing it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Is that a waste of time? Mm-hmm. Is that vain? Should I just not pray? <laughs> I don't know. And sometimes oh. when I give the qualification, like if it's your will, like Lord, heal. So this is actually a real story. I, I, um, I'm deaf. I was born deaf in my left ear. And, uh, you know, I was raised very non-anti-charismatic, John MacArthur circles, mm-hmm. so never even considered like, you know, but I've, I've grown out of that environment and I'm trying to be more charismatic. So but yeah, I've gone for healing a few times, you know, um, mm-hmm. the last one is a few years ago, a preacher said, if anybody needs healing, come and I'll pray for you. And so I went forward so I, and I, and I feel, I think I was genuinely like, God, if it's, I think you, I believe you can do this. Yeah, and I'm going forward because I'm open to the possibility of you actually healing my deaf ear, and yet I don't. Mm-hmm. My f- faith isn't gonna. I'm not gonna doubt your existence if you don't heal. You don't need to heal me either. I'm okay with that. Right. But some people would say, "Well, no, you shouldn't even leave. You should pray, go forward, believing 100. He will heal you." And I'm just, I just, I, I just have yeah. a problem with that kind of confidence when it comes to God. I guess I don't know. Yeah, because I, I, I think that I agree. I think there's a level of certainty that we should have, but not necessarily on what God will do, but what He can do. Right. You know, like I can't force God's hand, and so, oh God, I know You can heal me. I, I You're God, but if You don't, what I'm also believing for, believing You for is that You could also give me a heart of contentment. You know, yeah. like a heart of gratefulness right, in the right. meantime. And so um, there's still some faith there. That's not unbelief. But it, it also, it opens my arms up to say, whatever God allows, he allows. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that's, that's yeah. I think that's the right posture. But some people would say, no, once you leave the door open to, he might not, then you're not truly believing. You know, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I've... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's then trusting our faith yeah like trusting in our prayer of faith to force god yeah. into action is, is that faith really yeah. or is that control i don't know so for the record y'all jackie hill agrees with me so y'all can take a hike <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I, before yeah. i let you go i got a few more minutes i have to ask a question are you done or tired of talking about sexuality i mean that's 
you know, obviously I'm your not. first book or do you still, is that a main, is that, is that something when people ask you to speak, which I do all the time, is that still the main thing people want you to talk on or? It's not the main thing. It's still a thing though. Okay. Um, yeah, I still enjoy it. I think it's, I think I have some insecurities though, just because there's so many other things on my plate that I don't feel like I often have the time to re-educate myself or even be aware of just some of the new arguments or new ideas or new approaches to it. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like, man, there are people who I think are more equipped right now Mm -hmm. for this conversation than me, somebody who's been only spending two years to talk about or study God's holiness. (laughs) you know um but it is it's 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 just a continually fascinating conversation to me it really is just the sexuality and the human body and the mind and our affections and how that relates to the different things our culture believes about Mm. ourselves and each other and love and rights and Mm. even just recently having a lot of friends kind of distance themselves from me in light of you know them choosing a different path and just Mm wrestling with that like oh wow like i'm going through what i've counseled people with <laughs> like that's just a that's an interesting place what so what's what's can you drill down a little deeper what's fascinating to you about those questions like the fact that people are asking them or that they're more complex than that is very complicated mm-hmm. you know it's, it's not extremely black and white i think that's what's fascinating and just how I guess, humid it is to feel Hmm. and to love and want relationship, but also to say, man, but I have this Christian framework that speaks to the deceptiveness Hmm. of our feelings and how motivated they really are by a nature that is is darkened, Uh, but also the refusal of the culture to even consider that that's a possibility. You know, Mm -hmm. that like how I feel, though valid or uh, a true experience, that that somehow shouldn't be explored Mm -hmm. and loved. But it's like, man, there's there's so many other experiences that we recognize, though it's a real one. It shouldn't. So, for example, we, we don't we don't debate or argue with the husband who honors him his wife by denying and resisting and putting to death whatever desire he might have for a woman who is not his wife. We don't argue with that. We see beauty and righteousness and love in that. But when we apply that to our individual selves and how we should relate to God and saying, no, he is our husband. He is Mm -hmm. the primary love for which we should submit ourselves. Then it's homophobic. Mm -hmm. Then it's problematic. And so I guess I wonder why Mm -hmm it's so hard to see the connection between self-denial mm-hmm. and love mm-hmm. for God. Wow. That's good. I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, but... it totally does. no, it doesn't me. Um, I've just, I've seen such a, obviously everything's so much more polarized over the last couple of years, politics, church, COVID. I mean, so many things. And I feel like the sexuality conversations, I, I'm, I'm getting more and more emails, for instance, from like parents with uh, mm. gay or lesbian or trans kids where the kid is like, if you don't like, affirm, ev- like agree with me and affirm everything, then you are toxic and you have no business yeah. in my life. Like that real, not we can agree to disagree or I know you still love me even though we really disagree on yeah. this or, and really good, like good from what I can tell, like good loving relationships. But I'm, I've seen yeah. such an increase of just that binary. Like mm-hmm. if you're on, if you don't, toe the line on everything within my kind of tribalistic idea. And it's all wrapped up in the polit- you know, all kinds of other things. It and, is. And it is. It's sad. Like parents say, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. What do you do? And, and even as a parent now, I'm like, I feel this burden to build such a relationship of love, openness and trust and room space to, to feel mm-hmm. how you feel and express that and me not force you to feel a different way. Because I, I I just I wonder how much of that has been consistent in the life of parent and child relationships, so that when they do reach a certain age, there's a trust that your parent is wise, mm-hmm. you know, and so that you so that you can say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. I want your ideas, even if I disagree with them, right, you know. Right. But we're also expecting teenagers to act like adults, 
and right. that's just not. Yeah, <laughs> teenagers are really crazy. So, I mean, and they're going through such so many difficulties today. I mean, just yeah, especially through COVID and everything, the mental health issues and social media is. This is my so I rarely I rare I really give dogmatic life advice. Okay, love God, mm-hmm. love others, read your Bible. You know, um, right. when it comes to parenting, I'm really cautious. Here's one I will give to every single parent out there: Don't let your kids get on social media until they're 18. No, no really? they've already done it. You can't take that away. That's yeah. It's, what's done is done. You got to mitigate that. But I don't. I would not give my kid a loaded gun. I would not give them a a pile of crack cocaine. And I wouldn't give them at 13 or 14 access yeah. to something that has been proven over and over and over again to be literally chemically addictive and mm. destructive psychologically, mentally, spiritually. Why would I entrust that to a 14, 15, 13, 12-year-old kid? If your yeah. kids are 9, 10, 11, you, you can just have that rule and, and it'll, be, it'll go yeah. fine. It'll be a hard conversation for a little bit. It's hard, hard for our kids a yeah. little bit, but life went on. Uh, I'm taking your advice. No, I'm, I'm doing say, it. I, I, and I'm on social media. You're on, like I, but yeah. I'm an adult. I know how to have, I know how to turn it off. I, I'm mature enough to 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 hold this loaded gun. Um, yeah. I, I, that's a bad analogy, but um, I, you know, <laughs> I'm mature enough to have the crack pipe and not smoke it too much. <laughs> right. Sure. And, and I have a lifetime of relating to people socially who are embodied mm. in front of me. I know how to have a conversation face to face. Like their world, they they if they're on social media, that will be the primary way in which they form relationships. We don't know the sociological long-term effects of, of that. So I'm not going to experiment on my kids to anyway, very passionate about this. I I think that would prevent some of this, the difficulties down the road because Mm -hmm. where else are they getting a lot of this thinking, but um, yeah, it's really a Psalms one, one ethic to me, you know, blessed Mm -hmm. is the man who doesn't sit in the, or the way of stand in the way of sinners or sit, sit in the seat of scoffers. Mm-hmm. I think social media is a kind of communal mind renewing or altering space yeah. in yeah. a real way. And so I, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm applying that. I don't care how mad they get. It'll what, be all right. One more question. Have you, I've, I've always wanted to know this since you wrote gay girl, good God, have you mm-hmm. shifted your your view on anything within the sexuality conversation, obviously your theological views haven't changed or whatever, but is there kind of more, more yeah. finer nuances or even emphases or posture or whatever that you would say you d- kind of would disagree with yourself from five years ago or whatever? Huh. That's a great question. Um, I think I am much more gracious and understanding towards those who would identify as gay Christian. Okay. Um, and by gay Christian, I don't, I don't know how the side A side B distinction, but like <laughs> those who live a biblical conservative sexual ethic, but would say that they, you know, yeah. it's they're being true to themselves by calling themselves gay. I think at a when I was writing Gay Girl to God, and even before that, I was super kind of hard on it in my heart, where I was just like, it's confusing. Um, it's this, it's that, and I still hold some of those convictions. Yeah. But I'm thinking I'm, I'm just so way more open. To just like, yeah, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Do what you feel is, is is best for for you. You know, like I don't yeah. I don't I just think it's an unnecessary not unnecessary. I just don't think it's a it's a heel to die on. Okay. That's what, <laughs> I think I think that's one thing that's significantly changed for huh. me. And that's just yeah. by having conversations with those yeah. who would identify as gay Christians and hearing their 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 perspectives, you know. They thought they've thought through this. Yeah, they, they just haven't arbitrarily labeled themselves that just because. Yeah, and even that the group you're thinking of, yeah, I've got a lot of f- friends in that group. Even they would say, I, I rarely, if ever, would actually use that phrase. I am a gay, right. you know, with just the term "gay" to describe the fact that they experience ongoing same-sex temptations, or however you want to word it. That would be a more yeah. conservative way of wording it. Like the term that I've felt that best names that experience, especially for younger people. Um, yeah. is the term gay and i don't i'm not investing obviously if i'm committed to celibacy out of allegiance to jesus my gayness is not yeah. on the throne of my life like come on like that's insulting to yeah. no jesus is on the throne of your life have you seen what a, <laughs> you know what i know we have to go but yeah. you know a really fascinating thought that, that i've heard so rebecca mclaughlin yeah. i can't she's written a ton of books 
we were on a panel together mm. and she we were talking about that and she said what's interesting to her is that it seems as if those who tend to identify themselves as gay Christians are those who grew up in Christian context where they were never out Mm -hmm. to a certain degree. And she was like, versus people like you who were out and loud Mm -hmm. with your gayness. And so when you became a Christian, it was a hard cut off from that identity. I said, wow, that's actually, (laughs) that's really profound to think about. And so I think there's something with that. That is almost across the. I mean, you think of like, like yeah, you, Chris Yuan, um, um, who Butterfield. Rosario. I mean, they're all for yeah. them. The term "gay" is wrapped up in all kinds of stuff that they're yeah. like, no business, you know, carrying over into their post-Christian life. Um, but yeah. for, for other people, don't have the baggage. Yeah, and I don't know what to make of that, but it is. I, I've thought about that. That's that's. It's not across yeah. the board, but it's 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 pretty widespread. But. Jackie, thanks so much for being on Theology and Raw. Again, the book is Holier Than Thou. Pick it up where or pre-order it uh, wherever books are sold. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed the conversation, Jackie. Always. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Sp- or Dr. Sprinkle. Thank you.